ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Level Playing Field, where video games are cool. I'm your host, Andrew Kimball. And I'm another person who is here. My name is Caleb Van Nice. And I'm Joe. You don't need to know my last name yet. We're not on that kind of friendship yet. Perfect. We all love Joe. All right. We got a great show for you today. Uh, before we get into the meat of it... What have you guys been up to lately? How, how have things been going? I've been sick, so that's how things have been going. Me too. Everything hurts and everything is broken. We're all sick, so this should be fun. So the main topic of our episode today is the game Bastion. But before we dive into that, is there... Anything else you guys have been playing that's been fun or interesting that you want to talk about or anything in the news or just in the world of gaming that has happened that you just feel like it would be fun to talk about? Um, well, I have been pl- I, I did play something, but it was actually kind of both. It was something I'd wanted to tackle for a while, and it was because we were going to be discussing Bastion and how it connects to that. So we'll talk about I'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into Bastion. It's a game called Torchlight Two. Don't know if you're familiar with either of the Torchlight games. I um, have not played either of them. Okay, yeah, no, it's a, it's very it, the same genre and make, and we'll talk a lot a little bit about it um, more because it gives me some interesting things to talk about. Um, this is mostly gaming adjacent, but while I was sick this past weekend, I was looking for stuff on Netflix to watch, and I found the weirdest anime called High Score Girl, and it is this weird little romantic comedy about arcade gaming in the early 90s, and there was a whole lot of Street Fighter 2 stuff, a whole lot of um, some Mortal Kombat, some King of Fighters, but it was just an interesting they actually used footage and large chunks of information from these old games and i thought that was kind of fascinating huh it's okay the (laughs) the series itself it's okay but the first three episodes are kind of you can watch those if you like them you might like the rest of the show if you don't you're not going to enjoy the rest of the show it gets worse from there so it's always good feedback for a show. It was okay. It gets worse from there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, it it just kind of ends before the story is over because it's Netflix and how they do their Netflix original anime is they, they get an anime that's been out and they just drop it all at once, but they're very bad about telling you when more is going to come. So there's clearly more episodes to make, but they've only got 12 out right now and the story just kind of stops. I've been playing Apex Legends, or trying to, because I have a broken thumb. Broken? It's not really broken, but I have to wear this splint on it, and it really is not good if I take it off. And with a controller or a mouse, it's really hard when you can't use your right thumb. So you've been playing on PC as well? Yeah. Is it? How is it? I've been wanting to try that, but you know. It's the first Battle Royale that I've had fun with. It still has issues, mostly to do with the fact that it forces you in a three-man squad, right? Uh, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Like sometimes it works well, and they've done what they can to like make that work, and it's definitely good for the pacing of the game. But it is really obnoxious 
being forced in with two people and you know none of you are on the same page like the guy who is your jump master may just like immediately drop you out of the ship like straight down to the ground where everybody else is and at that point it's just well can you get to a gun before somebody else which isn't terribly fun but at least you get things over with quickly or you just get that guy who like leaves in the middle so i'd like to see them put in like a solo mode but it for me it solves the issue i had with fortnite or with fortnite you kind of get a feel for it and you're like okay i'm kind of getting this and then if you ever want to actually win you suddenly find out you have to get really good at this whole building mechanic right which is just too much for my old brain to handle i thought i heard something recently that like data miners had found that or maybe Respawned even just said somewhere that they are planning on doing other modes like singles and duos and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it seems likely. It wouldn't surprise me. I just wish that was in now. Right. Yeah, I played some of that as well. I actually finished The Last of Us recently. Ooh. So, I mean, I guess that could be its own podcast at some point. But Yes, it could, because there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, just overall, I would say, like, starting out and getting like i'd say probably for the first half of the game maybe even two-thirds i was like i don't get the hype and then towards the end it it kind of sucked me in and it was like oh okay and then the way it ended just i was like wow i guess now i am looking forward to that sequel that i didn't really think i would have any interest in when was the was the turning point around the winter chapter because that's usually yeah yeah right before you know when when they're in the college and yeah yeah some good stuff there yeah i haven't played it so they're gonna they're tiptoeing around actual details we'll have to do an episode on it at some point get your get it in your hands for a while and then talk about it because it's there's a lot to talk about yeah it could be a future episode it's it's something i'd like to do moving forward is maybe try and tackle some of the more relevant slash quote bigger games like that and especially games like that that try to have meaning and nuances and things to unpack you know mm-hmm. below the surface uh a few things i did want to touch on um we had a nintendo direct fairly recently Mm-hmm. Where they announced Link's Awakening, a remake. Yeah, on the that's, Switch. That's gonna be a. Uh, it's gonna be a thing. I'm super interested, honestly. Yeah, I've uh, the handheld Zeldas always kind of escaped. I own all of them. Like, if, if there is a Zelda game released in North America, I own it. But every time I've started one of the handheld Zeldas, like Link, Link's Awakening, the Oracle games, Minish Cap, um, even the ones I really liked, they just always would get away from me a lot faster than the console ones. The console ones usually held my interest for a little bit longer. and Because yeah. every Zelda game, I think, has that initial hump of like, this is a lot more work than it is fun. And then you get over that hump and you're just sucked in for you know the 60 plus hours it'll take to finish the game. This I like the art style that they went with, and it seems pretty accessible, I guess would be a good word. So 
I'm in the same boat as you where the handhelds I have tried, I never finished them. And so this kind of seems no. like one that I think I'd probably see through to the end. And part of that is from just from what I've been hearing, it's weird. Oh yeah. Um, it's not your typical Zelda story and I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. Also, I think that this was, this is the, of all the handheld games, this is the one that needed an update the most because the game design of Link's Awakening is actually from what I've seen. Mark Brown did a, um, fantastic series called boss keys he still does it but he's moved away from zelda but he looked at the dungeon design for every single zelda game um and link's awakening was actually one of his favorites in the entire series it has some phenomenal design but because it is not just a game boy color but like a game boy game the interface and design is very archaic so it's the hardest to get into yeah there i've heard people talk about the the way it's screen by screen for one thing. And also the Game Boy only had two buttons. Mm -hmm. So switching from item to item was kind of a hassle and and your sword and shield and stuff counted as items. Yeah, no, I, I I had, I still have my Game Boy somewhere and it still functions. Um, but when I grew up playing my Game Boy, I only had a couple games for it and they were either, um, little game and watch puzzle games, like a compilation or like very basic platformers like uh one of the i had one of the kirby games for it um and it's only been in recent years when i went back and tried to play some other game boy games i missed that i realized they did try some very ambitious stuff on the game boy uh the old pokemon games were attempts at full-on rpgs on that thing and wow is it tedious to try to have one of those um with just two buttons in black and white little lcd graphics basically yeah, and then when they did they port it to the color or what? Because there were some color specific dungeons I've heard yeah. mentioned as well. Yeah, um, I think what it was was they to help advertise the Game Boy Color. They programmed it so that it had a bonus dungeon. It became Link's Awakening DX. Right. Um, you got a special dungeon if you put it in a Game Boy Color. Never shows up in the normal Game Boy One, but. It was one of those few things that they could... They did it with, I think, another game. They did it with Oracle of Ages and Seasons. uh, Or at least Ages. I can't remember what the difference was in Seasons, but I do have clear memory in Oracle of Ages. If you put the cartridge into a Game Boy Advance, there was a special shop that would open up that would normally be closed. Okay. And it wasn't a, a port. It was like the original Game Boy Color cartridge. It's so weird that they did stuff like that. Back mm-hmm. then. Well, if you remember, they they did it as late as the DS when you could play the first couple generations of DS when you could still play Game Boy Advance games. In the bottom. In the bottom of a yeah. DS. And if you had like both versions or something in at once. Yeah, you could unlock certain things, things by yeah. playing the DS port while having certain Game Boy Advance games in your thing. So they they tried to do that whole cross-generational thing for a while it's only been recently that they've completely abandoned it more or less yeah. uh was there anything else in the direct that well i'm excited that uh toby fox's delta rune is coming to switch that'll that'll be nice good good sign for when the full game finally does come out that hopefully we're gonna port well i heard that it's gonna be more of like 
episodes as opposed to like this is like a tease for a full game it sounds like he's gonna be releasing chunks kind of like this yeah yeah he he said he wasn't quite decided like he wants to have a full production team you know undertale which was his he made basically by himself right um and he said he wanted deltarune to be a lot bigger um so he made the first chapter by himself but he's not he wants to put a team together before he like he can tell us really he's like hey is this going to be like a full $60 game? Is it going to be something I release in chapters? You know, it, it'll depend. So I'm, but I'm at least intrigued by he's open to porting it to um, home consoles, even at this stage. So, yeah. Uh, you're one of the two people I know that had a Wii U. Yeah. So did you play the original Mario Maker? I played the original Mario Maker quite a bit, and yeah, I'm I am intrigued by Mario Maker too. It's about time. Like it, Mario Maker was pretty much um, one of the high points of the Wii U library. Yeah. So it's it was like the last rem- well, no, it and Pikmin three are like the last two remaining games to not get a sequel or a port for the Switch um, that were big on Wii U. And were worth the Wii U purchase. Um, so the getting a full sequel is nice. I have to say the choice for the next game to add to the roster was unique. I don't know if you picked up on that, but you know the first Mario Maker had the original Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers three, Super Mario World, and um, New Super Mario Brothers as the four games you had as foundation. Like the styles, yeah. yeah. This one has those four, and it also added a 2D version of Super Mario 3D World for the Wii U. Yeah, I did um, hear that. But do you think that that's the only one they're adding, or the only one they've told us about so far? It's the only one they've told us about so far. I. Do you think they'll add more? I could go either way with it. It's the only reason I wouldn't say, oh, certainly, they've, they've got to have one more. The game does come out really soon, like June. Um, so... There's a decent chance they might drop like one more. Um, Do you think they could add more as DLC? They could. I don't know if they're that forward thinking. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's their style, but no. And I will also say, as much as this is um, this is great, and I'm excited, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I do have two minor headaches. One is that the Super Mario Maker series is really, really cool. But I really hope it encourages people to actually make some decent levels and not just these almost memefied death levels. I don't, yeah. I don't know how much... Did you play any of Super Mario Maker last time? No, okay. I never played it. Most of the community-created levels were either, hey, look, as we do mess with the coding to make music with the levels, which is cute. Yeah. Um, watch as we... Uh, make memetic kind of insane levels or just levels that are designed to be over the top difficult. And there's nothing wrong with any of those, but I was hoping for some more um, actual decent 2D Mario levels. Wasn't there a rule that they had in the game though, where you had to beat the level you made in order for it to actually. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're to, to actually get it published. Yes. Um, I want to say there was a way around that that a couple people took, but for the most part, yeah, all of those levels were finishable. 
but they're just really hard. Some of them. Oh yes, they were designed like timed jumps. I'll, I'll have to send you some video clips later of like some infamously terrible. Like there were ones that you were basically you'd get a mushroom and you'd take a hit and you'd have only until the end of your next invincible, like the invincibility frames, you know, after you take a hit and they're flashing, um, you'd have to go get another mushroom because everything around you was going like was killing you. Basically you were walking on spikes, you were jumping through fireballs or whatever. You only had several frames of animation to get to the next mushroom to, you know, take the next to do it again. Yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah, no. I mean, it makes sense that that's where the demand is. Because if you want just 2D Mario, there's... I mean, Mario's been out for, what, 20 years? So there's 20 years of backlog of Mario for you to play through if you just want your normal 2D Mario levels. And so what what's really going to attract people and get them to stick around... And get them to stream is it. these really... that That's the big one, uh-huh. is the is the stream like streaming in youtube where you're watching people who have to make but perfect inputs and you know every single button press has to be exact and so it makes sense that that's where the longevity and where the demand is because yeah making your own actual legitimate mario level is cool but that's just kind of one of those that's really for you as the maker and as a consumable content for most people, that's kind of like, okay, next, okay, next. And I definitely think the broader appeal is in seeing what kind of like weird tricks you can do with the level maker where you kind of have like those joke levels where you don't really have to do anything. It just carries you through. And then, yeah, the levels that are super difficult. That's fair to an extent. I just, I don't get the appeal personally. Maybe it's just because I'm not that good at um, Mario past a certain level, but I don't know. Joe, did you watch the direct? Have you seen anything on it? Uh, I saw like the trailers from it, but I didn't actually watch the whole direct. So is there anything that, I mean, you don't have a switch yet, but <laughs> I'm a, yeah, somebody who's only the only Nintendo product I have in my house is my old DSi. So that wasn't really anything that left about out your GameCube. It's true, I do have a GameCube. Yeah, forgot about that. Don't forget about the GameCube. It's been a while since I busted out the GameCube. Our beloved little play school cube. Another interesting thing that happened recently that I kind of want to touch on because it, it sparked a little bit of conversation between us off air was the rumor about Microsoft and Nintendo getting all buddy-buddy and getting Game Pass on Switch, and there have been more rumors since then that like actual games are coming Oh, yeah, yeah, like uh, Ori in the Blind Forest, I think, was the first one that, that they're saying is going gonna, is gonna to hit. Yeah, which is it's weird and awesome. Oh, it's this is, this is not quite as strange as um, when Sonic the Hedgehog games started making their way over to Nintendo consoles, but it's close. Like, it's in the same ballpark. Um, Did that happen when... Sega's systems were starting to go downhill, or was it before that? It was around the same time. It's 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 hard for me to remember because, technically speaking, I know we all kind of forget about this because of how it turned out. But technically speaking, the Dreamcast was part of the same generation as the GameCube and the PlayStation Two. Um, 
and the original Xbox. It just came out first, sold really good, really well. <laughs> so I had to correct my own grammar. Uh, sold really well and then burned out like crazy. Like just stopped selling cold one day and Sega did not have... They didn't have like Nintendo who has the financial backing from years of profits to weather something like the Wii U. Yeah. Sega didn't. So when the Dreamcast stopped se- stopped selling, they had already had some bad luck with the Saturn, which was their previous console. And they were just they were basically done in the console market. Yeah, but I guess my my point is as a comparison, like Sega <laughs> made the decision to transition from like consoles to just being like a, a game publisher. And uh I don't see why Microsoft would need or want to do anything like that and i don't know if that's what they're doing i don't think that's what they're because they have their next they've already like said they're making the next generation of consoles but it's they've also they have the whole x cloud thing where you could just play on your ipad if you wanted to yeah yeah i don't think microsoft's in trouble um uh although i could see microsoft's a tech company that has always confused me a little bit it felt like they got into gaming in the first place on kind of like a dare or a lark like you know what? We decide we have a bunch of money. We can get to video gaming. So as much as I don't think they're getting out of the game business, like the publishing uh, console development business anytime soon, I feel like they could drop out of the hardware business one day because they were bored. I think like, they're changing. Yeah. They're trying to change the the norm. I don't... Like, I could see them not doing consoles anymore because they just aren't needed. That's That's fair. Although I always get kind of antsy whenever some executive is like, you know, I don't think consoles have that much longer left to be around. And, you know. They've been saying that for a while. Yeah, that's what. It's it's never come to pass. We might be getting closer. I think it will eventually. But but it's not. It's not not, this generation. This next It's not happening on a fast time scale because, for for one, most, like if we're going to be U.S. centric for a moment here. Most of the U.S. doesn't have the kind of internet yep. it takes to do something like this. That's, that's the there, there are people who live in like big population centers who maybe do, but the population as a whole, the majority does not. Uh, like I think around here, your options for internet are AT and T for fifty down, and cable one which will sell you 50 down or maybe even 100 down. Like 100 is there. Uh, which it's, it's significantly more expensive to get the 100 down. Yeah. Uh, for Xbox to try to partner with the Switch like this, I don't think it's them like trying to get out of the hardware or anything like that. No, I don't think so. I either. think it's, it's a combination of two things. One is that Microsoft... Did get a new CEO within my adult memory. I can't remember exactly the year, but uh, recent enough that we would now would be about the time when we would, you know, be seeing these pushes for new things like the Game Pass. You know, the Game Pass came out like a year, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and now that's on its still on its own. That they're branching out. And they've been pushing really hard to integrate their xbox software services with the pc uh, so i think game pass is also coming to pc and they've been adding more titles they've been adding play anywhere it's not on pc yet game pass 
I think it is. Yeah, I thought it was. I don't know because I removed the Xbox app and tried to remove as many Microsoft advertisements as I could from my Windows 10 installation. <laughs> but it, it sounds familiar. Uh, so yeah, they moved. They're moving Game Pass to more platforms. They're moving their software services to more platforms, and Microsoft has been fighting Sony from behind for this whole generation. Yep. And I think that's the real kicker for why they're partnering with Nintendo on this is for one, both of them are behind, but especially Microsoft is fighting from behind. And that's, you can tell with Sony and Microsoft, whoever's behind is the one coming up with the new innovative kind of things that, you know, to pull people back in, like back in the previous generation, uh, PlayStation Plus being much cheaper than it was free. Yeah, it was, was it free for a while? Uh, well, no, they the just internet charging. No, they? the internet um, was free, and the multiplayer was free. Uh, PlayStation Plus was not connected to your multiplayer um, usage last gen, uh, but it was it was about the same price as uh, Xbox Live Gold. But it was it was the it, it sold itself less as a requirement, but more as this really nice premium. It's you know before they had games with gold. Plus was the first one going. Hey, look, you get big major titles, and those first I want to say year or so of plus um, free titles were nice. I mean, you got um, critically acclaimed recent blockbuster AAA games um, as long as you were a member of the service. Yeah, because they're big. Didn't you get to keep them forever? No, no, no. It was always that was Games with Gold's trump card when when they came out with theirs was that you get to keep them forever because Plus was always keep them as long as you're a subscriber. They really wanted you to um, hold on to your subscription because it used to be you could play online for free with mm-hmm. PlayStation, and that was their thing against Microsoft because you had to have Gold to play online. Well, yeah. And jumping off what you said about being behind Microsoft was behind for the same reason PlayStation was behind um, in the PS3 generation, which was PlayStation came off the high of succeeding so well with the PS2 that they got cocky and made all these decisions with the PlayStation 3 that at the start of the generation that were just terrible. There were no games for it that were like ready in time. The console itself was way too expensive. Uh-huh. It, it was just a mess. Um, so... Unlike the PS2, which was fairly cheap, and the biggest selling point of the PS2 back in its glory days was that it had so many games. You There were just always PlayStation 2 games in every direction. It also played DVDs. It also played DVDs. The PS3 tried to sell itself as playing Blu-rays, but that was still like during the height of the Blu-ray HD, HD DVD war, which... Boy, that was a weird time to live in. I found an HD DVD like a, a, about a year ago. And I just stared at it for like a good two minutes because I'm like, that's right. That whole thing happened. Um, But no one actually cared. Like at the time, it wasn't no one. Very few people could understand what the draw was. DVDs were immediately like the benefits over a VHS were immediately apparent. The benefits of a Blu-ray over a DVD were not. Um, And since it was still in the middle of that format war... Like, 
no one wanted to invest in either of them until they knew, okay, which one's actually going to stick around. We don't want to do Betamax or whatever over again. Um, but yeah, I, I also think there's a simple um, economics thing to this whole uh, Microsoft teaming with Nintendo, which is just that if this works and if this actually does happen, Microsoft gets Nintendo customers to pay for its Game Pass and Nintendo gets Microsoft Microsoft customers to consider buying a Switch because then, hey, look, you basically get a handheld Xbox console. It's kind of what I was wondering was I could obviously see the benefit for Microsoft, but like Nintendo is doing super well right now with the Switch. Yeah, there's no reason you can't ever do better. Yeah, I guess not, but I, I don't see... <clears throat> I didn't see them like I agree with Microsoft fighting from behind desperate times all that. I don't see Nintendo being desperate necessarily like they need to do this and also like they care because Nintendo is always doing their own weird stuff which maybe is why they're willing to do it cuz they're always doing their own weird stuff. I also wouldn't be surprised they've been chummy for a while now and I wouldn't be surprised if this was part of a like if this comes to fruition this is part of a longer um, more in-depth sort of partnership. Like, this is the big main thing, but I wouldn't be surprised if this led to, you know, we, we've already had Minecraft, which is a Microsoft-owned um, property, Microsoft-published property on the Switch, on the Wii U. I want to say it was even on the 3DS. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get... Um, some sort of Microsoft representation in Smash Brothers as, like some extension of this partnership, whether it's um, one rumor I heard was uh, it's going to be the main dude for Minecraft, but one of his alternate costumes is Master Chief, like something along those lines. Maybe it is Master Chief. I don't think that one's actually as unrealistic as some people might, but or Banjo-Kazooie would be a good one, you know, bring him back home. Uh, I, I feel like Nintendo's benefit from this is they get, again, that new influx of um, <coughs> customers. And they have an additional benefit, an additional service benefit they can offer from their Switch. It's a new selling point. Hey, look, you buy a Nintendo Switch, you can play Xbox One games um, through streaming. And if it's at all connected to Nintendo's online service, then they have another excuse to you know get you to buy their online service. Well, and that's the thing with the whole the other rumor that was coming out of GDC with the Xbox application or whatever that was going to go on the Switch that could potentially let you get achievements and stuff like that on your Switch. Because then, if you have Microsoft's online infrastructure on your Switch, that oh would yeah, be look, amazing. <laughs> everyone's there was, uh, if I remember correctly, back. During the Switch's development, back before we really knew what it was, all we were asking was, like, this was when Valve was slightly more popular with the gaming community than it is at the moment, but we were all just like, can Steam just be in charge of your guys' internet infrastructure? We would take Microsoft at this point either. I love Nintendo. I've grown up with Nintendo. They're great at so many things. Online is not one of them. No, it's not. Interesting times. Mm -hmm. And speaking of time, I think it's time to start moving into the main topic, which is a little game called Bastion that Caleb recommended we play. So I'm going to let him start. See, if I was feeling better, 
I would just go in and do the full, like, imitate the narrator from Bastion, which I think is honestly one of the selling points of this game, is that it has a narrator. Um, it, okay, so for those... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with the game Bastion, it was a game developed by Supergiant Games. Um, it came out pretty much right in that those early days of like the indie game boom. Uh, I think it was co-produced by Microsoft. Um, they didn't, they weren't so much in charge of publishing it as much as they got exclusive rights to publish it first. Uh, after they helped finance it, this was back when the Xbox, because PlayStation had basically fell on its own face, was trying to do is whatever it could to draw, uh, bring in people um, and part of it was to help fund and provide exposure to indie developers because the indie boom was going on at that time I want to say this was 2006-2007 uh, so you have games like Braid, Limbo um, oh, Cave Story stuff like that Fez, the original Fez the only Fez because Fez 2 is cancelled man, forgot about that um but Bastion uh, was one of these games, and it's representative of a lot of the things uh, of those early indie games, which includes the fact that it's small, it feels very personal, um, it's more story and narrative focused, uh, the gameplay is rather simplistic, but it's more of reinterpreting gameplay that you're already familiar with and putting it into a slightly different context similar to how Limbo was a platformer but with these vague horror vibes uh, or Fez was a platformer but with the added you know cube uh, rotation dimensional angle or like how um, oh what was its name Braid was a platformer, but really freaking pretentious. Um, <laughs> Bastion was one of the ones that wasn't a platformer. It's an action RPG in the vein of Diablo. It uh, tells a post-apocalyptic campfire story of sorts about a kid, known only as the kid, who takes his hammer and smashes through the wilds um, while maintaining a home base at a place called the Bastion. Uh, that's about as far plot-wise as I think we need to go into, because I do want to talk about the ending. Both of you have played the game. Have you both played the game through to completion? I did. Okay. Yep. Okay. I have a lot to talk about the ending. But we're going to wait a little bit and maybe give people an opportunity to not get spoiled right away. Um, it is what a... It has to be a what close to 10-year-old game. I know, but let's not do it right out of the gate. Um... Okay, if you don't want to be spoiled on a 10-year-old game, turn the podcast off, go find Bastion for like a buck 99 on the Steam Marketplace. and Grind it out. Yeah, it takes about five hours. I look at my Steam stats. It takes about five hours to beat. All right, so you can beat that. It'll still be today. You can beat it, and then you can come back and resume the episode if you really care. Okay. Now that we've got now that we've got that out of the way, that's my basic introduction for the game and its plot. Um, we can also discuss any of the story stuff uh, now that Joe so helpfully uh, knocked that disclaimer out of the way. 
Uh, so what do you guys think? I have many opinions myself, but I know you are not as enthralled as you wanted to be, uh, Andrew. And I have absolutely no idea what your opinion on it was a joke because you haven't mentioned it like he has. That's, well, that's because I played it a long time ago. So my, my opinions are fuzzy. I did load it up over the weekend just to go, oh, yeah, okay, I remember what this was. And it's... First, I wouldn't use the word Diablo anywhere near it. If you say <laughs> action RPG like Diablo, and somebody goes in expecting that, they're going to. Well, no, no. That's why I wanted. To, that's one of the reasons I played Torchlight was because I don't have Diablo, but I had Torchlight, and so I'm like, it's they're close enough that I could say, okay, here's all the ways in which they are very different, but in terms of basic mechanics of overhead action RPG. It's just it's just in two point five D action game. I wouldn't like. I think even RPG is a stretch because you don't really have any like. You just pick your weapons and like a couple perks. I would. I wouldn't <coughs> RPG land. I don't know. Very very simplified. I guess maybe. Yes. RPG. There's no. There's no like character stats. You just pick. You know, there's a couple melee weapons, there's a couple ranged weapons you can pick if you want more extra health, you can pick if you want to be able to carry more health tonics, and that's really really all there is to it. That's fair, that's fair. I mean, it's a, it's a fun little game. That's about as much as I ascribe to it. I really felt like there was a an artsy angle that they were going for yeah. that kind of missed the mark a little bit because they just kind of well I appreciate they didn't use a ton of exposition because exposition can be really heavy handed and really poorly used they just kind of drop you in as oh something bad happened which okay I can I can answer that as is I would have liked to have seen what things were like before but okay a bad thing happened but then they named me like these locations and like these groups of people. Like like every weapon has like a, a clan associated with it, this like group that was known for using that weapon. And never really explain like what it is. It's just kind of a you just pick things up as you go along, which is fine if one of the central themes of the game wasn't dealing with everything being ruined in this disaster and how do you carry on when you have no frame of reference for what things are like before so as the player it's really easy for you to say oh well of course we're gonna like carry on and build the bastion and do our thing because oh yeah we we, this is all we know well see to me that actually is that that goes back to the theme the fact that they all have these associations and these clan connections because it's sort of like here are what's left of whatever was the world before. Um, you get these different pieces of history, and you, you have to sort of take into account what Rux, the narrator, um, what information he gives you about this. It's sort of the feeling of this secondhand um, world building, this whole sort of you're being told the story. Because I, th- I think an interesting part of it is actually who the story is being told to at the end. It's um, it's the girl whose name escapes me, but um, you're gathering all these bits and pieces of the world before, not from really being from there, but sort of being told about it 
um, as you're being told the story of the kid and what he's gone through to get to the point that the game takes place at. So I see your point that it's like, yeah, it would have been really nice to see more of it, especially with how incredibly vague the ending is, depending on what your choice is um, about how well your um, attempt works or doesn't work. Uh, but <coughs> I kind of dug the fact that it was just about, oh, you found this thing and it's connected to these people and this is really all the information you have. It felt a little bit more archaeological to me that way. But what about you, Mr. Kimball? You you had thoughts, I know. I I appreciate this game for what it is. I just don't think it's a me game. I do like the the aesthetic a lot. I like the way it looks. And I like the way the world like comes up underneath you as you're running and checking stuff out. I was always like taking certain directions, seeing is a path going to come up or is this going to be a dead end? You know, I was always thinking that the, the lore and the story and all that didn't really grab me. So (coughs) that's probably the main reason that it was kind of a grind for me was that I just wasn't interested very much in what was going on. So it was just the same gameplay over and over and over until the end. And then at the end, yeah, with the choices and things that happened like that, it was kind of like, oh, more of this stuff would have been kind of cool. That's very fair. To me, um, I think the fact that it's... I mean, this is this was my perspective on it. I enjoyed it for what it was, the very simplified action game... Um, with the different weapon mechanics, which were interesting, I thought, not overwhelming. Like, there's this game design philosophy, which is be very, very careful um, when designing weaponry or designing items that one just isn't inherently better than any of the others because then you just end up using that one. And I think they did an okay job at that, but there was also a point at which you find your favorite yep, and you don't ever really feel an incentive to go like the you, you start for example with the hammer and not too long after that they give you the machete um and the machete's nice but if you've already gotten kind of attached to the rim, rhythm of the hammer you might try out the machete and then just change back to the hammer or maybe you decide you like the machete and you try it like it's an okay system of like here's it's a close range weapon but it's like this it's a close range weapon like that but really, the last, it, it's way too late in the game where they handed me another close range weapon, which were the bellows, the flame bellows. Yeah. That I stopped and went, oh, that's actually different enough to make me reconsider my loadout. How it usually went was I got it. Once I found an item that I liked, I would get annoyed when they're like, here's a new one. Try this out until you get back to the bastion. And yeah, like, like auto equips it for you. I'm like, no, I liked I liked my pistols or I liked and my... And it would auto equip ranged weapons for me and where I had my melee. And so then I'd be running around with two ranged weapons. Oh, well, that was, that was a whole lot of fun. But um, yeah, to me, the whole game really came together with the assault on the bastion. Like that point towards the end when they attack the... Like the um, the tribe attacks the uh, bastion and uh-huh. like kills half of your pets and you have to fight them off, and then you get into the end game with those last choices and whatnot. That's that's to me when I'm like, oh, I like this a lot. Yeah, I can see what you mean though. It is pretty straightforward, at least for the first what like two thirds of the game. Just like 
here here it is. Here's the game. You figure out how to do it pretty early on, and yeah, and they give it. you all these. I wouldn't say all these. They give you a training ground for each weapon. And then they give you, like, the other world or whatever it's called where you, you have to survive, like, 20 obnoxious waves Oh, my goodness. Of enemies. Yeah. So I did the required of those. Mm-hmm. And then I did, like, one training ground before I was like, nah, I'm just going to power through the, the main game. I don't see the... And then they give you the, like, the temple... Where you can go and make the game harder if you want to, if, if that's your thing, which it wasn't mine. But yeah, I ended up using the machete pretty much the whole game, and then I would swap out my ranged weapons. Um, I used I used pretty much all of those, but towards the end I was using the pistols with the, like a ton of ammo. Yeah. So rapid yeah. fire them. I don't know what your loadout was like. Use hammer and pistols. <laughs> I used, yeah, I liked to keep it. So even if I changed my mind, like um, I wouldn't use, for example, the hammer and the um, the musket because it was two heavy weapons, you know, two yeah. slow, powerful weapons. So I'd usually keep something heavy and then something light. Um, hammer and pistol sounds about right. Um, but no, I think. Part of the reason I wanted to discuss this game is because I wanted to discuss the ending. So, out of curiosity, when you guys got to the point where you could choose what to do, what did you each pick? Do you, Joe, do you remember from when yeah, you Yeah, let's played? start with Joe. I barely remember, but I did watch... You watched me. I did watch you, and what I would have picked now was to leave Zulf for dead and then to keep the Bastion going... Uh, to like, I think it was you can rewind time or like go to new lands, mm-hmm. and I think I picked go to new lands. That one to me stood as a stronger memory than like I honestly couldn't remember what I did with Zolf. Now I would have like left him for dead, um, but I definitely would have picked to like move the Bastion to new lands. So you would have copied me? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You left Zolf for dead? Oh yeah. Okay, a so- dude can suck it. <laughs> Okay. See, that's, I think my, that's, that is interesting to me because one of the reasons I love the game is I didn't leave Zolf for Dead and the ending, like, sequence there is very emotional because they all, like, so, like, walk me through what happens when you leave him for dead. You have the battering ram and you just, like, mow through all those guys, right? Yep. Okay. If you don't, if you pick Zolf up, you can't carry any weapons, so you just walk. And, like, they start shooting at you, you whittles down your health. You have to, like, use your health tonics and your thing to stay alive. But as you get down to your last one, like, the tribesmen just stop. They just, you know, they look at what you're doing, saving this guy. And, like, they they just, like, one of them takes one last pot shot at you. And the leader, like, kills him for um, taking the shot at you. And they just sort of let you leave in the sign of respect that you would, you know, help someone like that at this point and you know, get back to the thing. And the music entirely changes. Like instead of going for um, this more aggressive thing, it's uh, a sorry, sorry. Um, it's a medley of Zolf's theme music, which I can't remember where they where else they play it in the uh, game. 
but and the uh, build a wall theme that the girl sings, and it's this very nice um, musical piece that just carries the whole thing home. So that's why that's one of the reasons why I remember it is because it's it does this thing, and your guys' choice valid too. And this is the thing that I think video games should do more of, where it puts a decision like that in your hands and really lets the story take over, you know, how you want to tell it. So if you wanted it to be a story about, you know, oh, I beat this guy and now I fight my way out of here, you know, it's that. But if it wanted to be a story about redeeming this guy and, you know, the the peace they leave on, it can be that too. It's that sort of, it's a kind of storytelling moment I think only video games can do and I'm not one of those guys who are like video games should only be about player driven stories why do they keep trying to make them games like movies because I love everything Naughty Dog has made since the PlayStation 3 era um, so I, I'm not even I, I can't even go down that route too hard but I really do love and respect when we can have little moments like that where it's like hey you literally could not do this in a movie. The moment where if you choose to save him means more because you chose to save him. Because you guys chose not to. And that's completely fine, too. Like, your choice has more weight that way or one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Your choice sounds like uh, the better art. <laughs> like if they were going to force you to choose one and there was no player choice and it was just going to be like playing a movie. Yeah, yeah. yours Because art, like, yeah, you just kill your way out real easy and it's... It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there was no weight to it at all. Did you rewind time or did you... Yeah, yeah, I tried to so rewind So you did the complete time. opposite. Yeah. Uh, so you tried to rewind time? It doesn't work? It's very unclear. Like, the implication is such that it, it does rewind time. They go back. And then it just all happens again? That's the... Um, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The implication is such that you can't quite be certain. Like, the question is left... Yes, you rewound time. No, the calamity hasn't happened yet. Can you stop it? Can, will anything change this time around? Like, right. will the same things that caused the calamity the first time, will the same wars and uh, racism and all that stuff, will that happen again? I think if I hadn't played the game and I just listened to you talk about it, you could definitely sell me on it. <laughs> but then the gameplay would get in the way again. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to throw shade, but I did watch you play the last bit. And then I went home and played for like an hour. And I think you were missing some key things, like blocking. Yeah, he was telling me I was playing it wrong, but that's part of just how I play all games. So if, and I, like I said, if I had been invested in it, I probably would have tried to teach myself how to like do combat better and write, but it was working. I was getting through the game, so... Right, well, yeah, that's also a thing with a lot of games when it comes to design, which is, if an option works, is it really broken? And I, I don't know that... That was their first game. Um, by the way, if you want something more unique, their next game, holy cow, I don't like the story as much. It's got the, a neat Blade Runner-esque vibe, but you want to talk about complicated gameplay, have have fun. You just It's like... You're talking about the next game they made after Bastion or mm-hmm. the game that they no, currently the game, are making that's in early access? On no, the, the next game they made after Bastion, Transistor. Gotcha. Um, gorgeous music, though. Uh, they do have a thing for music. Oh, yeah. Their their um, composer, uh, I believe his name is Darren Korb. Uh, big fan of him. 
I think another problem I had was if I had played this game on a handheld or something, it would have felt more at home. I was playing it like Xbox One X on the TV, and it's just like it felt so small and simple. And like <laughs> I was playing it on Overkill, which I don't know if PC is probably the same way, but that could have just been me too, just another little hiccup or hurdle. Maybe if I played it when it came out, that might have helped too. I don't know. I think part of it was also one of the reasons it got so much acclaim when it came out, not just was because of the narrative, not just because it was, the, but because the change of pace. If you think about it, the gaming landscape at that time was big, gigantic, right? Third person, no, first person shooters. Time and uh, place. Yeah. And then comes this quaint little, um, very colorful, very simple artsy artsy action rpg that's short i think part of the reason i can remain charmed by it even though the gameplay is a little repetitive is because to me it doesn't overstay its welcome it's like five hours tops so you go um you decide you want to if i decided i want to replay it that's a couple nights clunking some heads with a hammer and then get to the ending cute all right moved on i guess that's a good point too is like right now is kind of the opposite as far as the landscape of games, like you have AAA and you have indies and the indie scene is really blooming. So you have little bite-sized pieces of art everywhere you're looking that you can play now too. So Bastion doesn't really stand out anymore. Right. It's, it's basically, it's only notable in that it predated most of them. Exactly. But it, most of them have taken the ideas Bastion had of, Hey, what if it was narrative driven? What if it was, small and simplified versions of gameplay people used to play more often but that's just advanced so down Mm -hmm. far the road that it's it's kind of insane all the different things that have come out um i mean on that note look at uh unravel and unravel 2 the ea games that are just they're basically EA published indie titles of look they're small little bite-sized platformers with you know charming aesthetics and yada yada you have tons of stuff like that you have actual indie games uh what was the one my brother was looking at was like into the woods or something like that night in the woods night in the woods yeah Yeah. just night in the woods i mean yeah you got indies are i mean celeste oh nominated for game of the year i mean it, that's just where we're at right now. The the kind of mid tier is almost non-existent. You got like Darksiders three and games like that that used to be everywhere, and now they're kind of it's like they're rare. They need to come back because I I think they will. I think it's just a, it's a swing, pendulum swing. Because I miss those like mid level. No, they're not the most amazing thing ever, but they're niche enough not to get like too bloated and yet have enough financial backing behind them that they're able to be like an actual substantive right meal of a game so any other final thoughts on bastion i would say if you um to anyone listening if you found any of what we discussed fairly interesting it's worth a shot. It usually keep your eye on the Steam sales. Um, whenever one of those happens, it's usually on sale for a few dollars. Um, no, going in, it's a little old and archaic, and the points they've raised are very, very valid. But I still say give it a shot. Oh yeah, I would definitely say give it a shot. I would 
Especially I, if you're an artsy person. Yeah. Like if you're somebody who plays a game and you like to just get lost in the visual and the sounds and you're less concerned about what you're actually playing and you just are kind of like, Ooh, this is pretty. And Oh, I like the way that sounds. It's a very good game for that. Like my sister. Yeah. Yes. And like not talked about enough. The narrator's voice is magnificent. So that's always nice to hear him. Just that, that was literally one of the things that sold me on the game was people are like, you can just sit there and smash boxes and he will narrate that. I don't know. You you can like, fall down or something into a level and just lay there and they'll be like the boy just rested for another minute you know? yeah yeah no i mean it's the interactive narrator was one of the earliest things that people said that sold me on the game like oh that's i've never seen that because again yeah that, the, that was cool it was like i said i definitely appreciate what they were going for what they did and i like the game and i would recommend it i just don't think it was a me game that's fair which is what makes conversations like this interesting Oh, yeah. We were all exactly the same. It'd be like, yep, it was great. Yep. Yes, good game. Good game. All right, moving on. (laughs) Speaking of moving on, though, if you guys are done expounding on Bastion, I have a little game I concocted to end the episode with. I didn't concoct it. I I can't take credit for inventing it, but I did come up with what we're going to do. Uh you actually expended the effort to go and look it up and put it together and compile the notes. I came far up more with than Caleb and I can say what we're going to do. And I decided what choices I'm going to make you guys make. Cause the idea is you've got two games or franchises of games. And I'm going to ask you to choose if only one of them could exist and you can take it as far as you want. Meaning like, what would that do to culture? Like, what would the world be like without this blank franchise or game? Or you can just be like, I like this one better, so that's the one I'm picking personally, you know. So I think I came up with 10, and some are obviously going to be better or more interesting than others. And some, like, you may not have played one, you may not have played one, so you guys may... I mean, you could even argue... Do we have to agree, or is this just kind of a, like, run down the list? That's a good question. I don't think we should have to agree. I, I think, think that would make it more interesting. Yeah. If we had to agree? Yeah, if you guys had to agree. If we had to come to a consensus. If you had to no, like, not agree, come to a consensus. Yeah, if you had to argue your point, like, because there are going to be games on here that one or one of you hasn't played. <laughs> There's actually one on here that probably Caleb hasn't played either of them. But... Uh, Maybe for this first time, though, we just run down the list. Cause you can at already... least appreciate... Right, right. You can see the significance of them, and I think I, I think I do want to try it with you guys having to argue your case because I think that'll make it more interesting for the listener, and it'll also make it last a little longer than just like a, a minute long segment where we run down ten things. So, yeah, you have to come to agreement. All right, let's. So the first one I came up with, well, actually, I might have moved these around, but the first one on the list, Call of Duty or Halo. Oh, that's easy, Halo. Yeah, Halo. It's. I mean, I. It's not. It to me, it's that Call of Duty lost its own plot like six or seven games ago. Like the first, I really want to play the first couple Call of Duties. I've never played those, and I've heard those are actually legit, like decent first-person shooters. Uh, I played Modern Warfare, and I the the first one, and I really enjoyed that. 
After that, it was kind of shaky, slow, downhill descent into madness where we are now. Call of Duty makes less money, I think, every year than the one before it. But it's still like the top-selling game every year. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Makes sense. So I would say that, yeah, early on, Halo for sure. They. I mean, Halo has lost its plot. But the key difference is Halo has only lost its plot for about two games versus Call of Duty has lost it for like six or seven. But or Call eight of Duty or... puts out a game every year that's good. And Define good. I mean, good enough that it sells like number one every year. It's true. They're all solid games. You can't argue that. I mean, there's, there's definite fatigue. Sell. Okay, Madden, <laughs> there's definite fatigue. Okay, Madden sells every year. Yep. But do you want to sit here and argue and really try to tell me that Madden 14 was a really good game and deserved to be a whole extra $60 purchase over Madden 13? No. That's, that's, this, is the, this is where I fall with Call of Duty. Yep. And that's why I typically only do like, I, I'm pretty much only Treyarch Call of Duty. That, if you go by that logic, then you're buying one like every three years. And I, I really think Call of Duty has lost the plot. I think I don't think Call of Duty necessarily has been as well, what's the word I'm looking influential as Halo was when it first came out. But you can't really argue that the original Call of Duty's definitely defined and refined. First-person shooters. Well, you, by original, you mean Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare Two, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I mean, not, I mean, not the very yeah. the those two, especially in, in the multiplayer world. I mean, we've had Call of Duty copycats up until. Well, yeah, recently. I I was gonna say as much as um, I did kind of agree with uh, I can't remember who it was I was listening to who made the argument that. The Halo franchise. That was Jared Petty. Okay, he he had. I thought that was a fairly solid point um, for the listeners at home. He made the argument that Halo had an overall detrimental effect on lots of um, first-person shooters, and I think the Halo clones did kind of over like a, what, several ways people tried to copy what worked about Halo did work to the detriment. I think Call of Duty did did the same thing but worse. Like. Call of, the the good Call of Duty games themselves were very good, and then everyone tried to copy those, and they were not very good. So that's that's kind of can why. You, I'm like, can you name some specific examples for both of those cases? For, <laughs> I can name mechanics. This more is only than the first one on the list. <laughs> I can only name mechanics more so than um, specific examples. But Halo. Um, was really clever in the regenerating shield idea for health instead of a health pack. Um, but overall, that idea outstayed its welcome by a lot. Like the Halo games, they work. It makes sense in the lore and everything. Other games that tried to use them at first, like, okay, that's fine. But when it was clear for that entire seven-year chunk with which first-person shooters dominated the market for a while, that... We're all doing regenerating health. Um, that was a little annoying. Uh, he pointed out in that um, discussion the over-reliance on big cinematic moments. I prefer my first-person shooters to be the more Doom-esque, here's this room, clear it, that's 
more or less it. Like that there's we're not doing the big explosion thing or whatnot. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not saying Halo abused that. I'm saying Halo did that pretty well, and then everybody went and ran with that. And I I do also think, especially the Infinity Ward, um, Call of Duties, they did it more so. Like they went. Oh yeah, set pieces is a selling set, point. Set pieces was a selling games. point for them, and then it became a selling point for everyone else. And I got bored of it. Very now, one final note before I force you guys to move on. I, I do. We appreciate, could have moved on if, but you had to interject your opinion. I do appreciate what Call of Duty did for first-person shooters controls. Like you can pretty much pick up any first-person shooter and know the controls almost immediately. Because they just copied Call of Duty. That part's always nice. Some people get cranky about stuff like that, but I'm like, you know what? Video game controllers got hard after the Super Nintendo. They're complicated. <laughs> just make just the layouts being similar is nice. Well, in any game these days is going to come with multiple button layouts. So yeah, you, you can, can just cycle them. through until you see one that <clears throat> stands out to you is immediately recognizable. Like, some people are really picky about having their melee on, like, a, a stick click or on, like, a B side button. button. And so, like, most any game will give you that option. Number two, Elder Scrolls or World of Warcraft? Hmm, that's it. Or you could just say Warcraft, I guess, if you wanted to broaden it. Mm, that one's That one's trickier. Well, yeah, I mean, I have a clear bias in that I only very, very briefly um, played World of Warcraft, and I, you know, will still play Skyrim every once in a while. But I'm that one. It's still tough because you don't really get one without the other, and there's no like. No, I. I this one's easy, Warcraft, because without Warcraft, you wouldn't have the rest of the blizzard products like those would all be gone i don't know i think maybe starcraft and diablo could have like pedaled on for a while but um as as we've seen in their follow-ups those don't do too well on their own but i think so you're arguing warcraft for its significance for the yes both for blizzard and just for gaming in general because Everybody knows what World of Warcraft, or most people, most everyone knows World, what World of Warcraft. Warcraft is. Its heyday was. It's it's <laughs> huge. It's super recognizable. It's something that, like, back in the day, you honestly did have a good chance of a random person on the street, like, also playing WoW, and kind of like today with maybe like Minecraft or Fortnite. So, do you agree, Caleb? See, selfishly, I'm I'm still on mostly Elder Scrolls because I'm a selfish a hole, and I just like playing Skyrim a lot. Like that's 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 it. But it's also you have to remember, I am not a very social gamer. I don't, I don't online play means very little to me. So the fact that Elder Scrolls is like, hey, you like the World of Warcraft thing? Like, yeah, it's like. You want to do it by you wanna, yourself? Yeah, you want to do it by yourself? And I'm like, yes, actually, explicitly, <laughs> yes. Um, I see what you mean about the the influence it had on the entire industry. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Skyrim had a fairly large impact as well. And as much as World of Warcraft did 
it was huge. I was there. It was gargantuan. What? MMOs aren't really a thing anymore. I mean, they kind of are. But they are, but not, 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 not like they were. There used to be like an entire secondary market of like World of Warcraft and then a second layer of whether it was Lord of the Rings online or, um, oh man, there used to be a ton of them and I'm now blanking on. All right. So to counter that, where are all the big triple A first person medieval themed RPGs? Well, I mean, oh, what was that game that just came out that didn't do very well? That was literally a medieval RPG, and it was, like, super... Are you talking about Kingdom... Yeah, Kingdom, Kingdom Come, Come Deliverance. Deliverance. You mean oh. the Oblivion knockoff? That <laughs> <laughs> didn't sell well. That's true. Uh, That's true on that there wasn't... But there was the impact of... Um... Well, to your point, Caleb, I think the, 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 like, peak of the MMO... I think now that we have multiplayer games on consoles so easily accessible... I think that that's taken some of that market. Like people are just playing with their friends. That's true. I bought. I am one of the suckers who bought Fallout seventy six, and I wah, knew. Wah. I knew when I bought it. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I, you know, I have a couple. I have a friend who has is going to get this game. I enjoy playing with them. This might be miserable, but at least we'll be able to goof off and be miserable. Yeah, it's together. more social than yeah. the game itself. Um, but you guys have to make a decision. Are you going to well, give it to WoW? See, you're gonna you're okay. Gonna... I've got, I've got. I think the nail in the coffin for why Warcraft wins this argument. Without Warcraft, the whole MOBA genre would never have happened. You throw that at me like that's not like. I was gonna say Caleb wants that. Yeah. Um, you know what? I will give it to Warcraft. All right. So we're giving that one to Warcraft, and number three on the list, which Caleb's gonna have to argue just. Based on, I guess, uh, merit, yeah. just the principle. Yeah, because I don't think his he... personal morals. Well, Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, and this one's not fair because it's both Rockstar, I guess. But yeah, but that still... is. Yeah, that's not. I mean, that's fair, but this it's one's easy. not. You're gonna pick Grand Theft Auto? No, Red Dead. Yeah, Red Dead. It's Cowboys. Also, because I feel like Grand Theft Auto's continual claim that its offensive stuff is merely satire is holds very little water when it's like, how satirical is it, or do you just want an excuse to do it? But, you no, know, Red Dead has cowboys. So you're both picking Red Dead because you like it better. Yeah. Okay. Just about, and I think that they're close enough to the same thing. I don't know. Maybe when GTA Five had just come out, I could have seen picking GTA but I think Red Dead 2 kind of took what they were going for with GTA 5 and just like knocked it way out of the park. But I think that Grand Theft Auto has way more relevance in the gaming world. And I think Grand Theft Auto Online continues to be a thing people play, and I don't think Red Dead Online will ever get there. I mean, pro- you're not wrong. I'm fine with y'all's choice. Yeah, I like Red Dead better just, as well. It's just our personal but opinion. Grand Theft Auto Five is was still last year in like the top ten of the MPDs, and it's how old? Uh, four years old, five years old, five years old. I think. I think the the original was a three six. Five years old because I was still in high school when it came out. Jeez. All right, number four. 
<clears throat> Far Cry or Just Cause? Honestly, Just Cause. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go with Just Cause as well. Like, wow. Just because I think... And now this is based purely off of... I guess Far Cry 4 is the only one I've really spent substantial time on. You didn't play Far Cry 3? No. Oh my god. But I mean, but 4 was, what, close enough to the same thing, right? Yeah, uh, gameplay-wise, but 3 was like... 3 had everything going for it and was kind of what boosted the series to where it is now, where it's like a household name. The, the main bad guy was on point i mean i and guess introduced story everybody. i guess story wise you could i i could have missed on stuff but just four from playing so big too like it was never ending just from playing four and the gameplay and i've played a ton of just cause 2 and i've played some of just cause 3 they honestly both have that same flaw where each game in the series is so much like the last one that you kind of are left with this like what's the point i've done this before except i would say the difference between just cause 2 and just cause 3 was pretty substantial like i think just cause 3 was a lot more accessible oh i mean it's controls and everything else it's a substantial difference but with the core oh yeah gameplay loop is exactly that like yeah and just cause 3 you had more map there were all those little challenges which i did like um but i think it was just like after i had put like a ton of hours in a just cause to it's like oh, it's just kind of like okay i've i've you know zip lined and grappled and blown things up i think that's the main problem with just cause four right now is it's pretty much just like three well most people were pretty confused and uh, mind you i pick i'm picking just cause as well but i think most people were pretty confused when they announced just cause four and everyone was like already like the the shtick with just cause three was oh we all love Just Cause 2, but it's been, what, 10 years or so? Yeah, this feels yeah. this feels right. Just Cause 4, it's like, no, that's, you. we've barely changed the graphics. Like, we did not have enough time to miss. There's Cause. a tornado. Yeah, there's a tornado. And don't get me wrong, that ad worked on me better than it should have. Like, I should have been like, I don't care. Oh, oh, there's a tornado, though. Hang on. All right. Well, this next one will probably be more in your court, Caleb. Mm-hmm. Spyro or Crash Bandicoot? This one is actually very difficult. Um, because here's the deal. I love... <laughs> and this is 100% on Caleb. I've never played either of these games unless Crash Bandicoot Racing counts, which I really doubt that that's... A, a I mean, good, it was... They're remaking it. A good Everybody point. A good it. justification for making a decision. So, yeah. Uh, All on Caleb. It's very difficult because, first of all, both of the companies that these helped move along are fan- like would have later gone to develop some of my favorite things. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> um, this is Insomniac and Naughty Dog right here. Uh, the other issue is... It's weird to look back on, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. Um, it, it's even weirder when Uncharted 4 forces you. It's like they you play a level of Crash Bandicoot inside of Uncharted 4. And it's like, look at this. This is where we came oh, from. We made this. It's like, that's adorable. What on earth? Um, it's also really frustrating because... Later games in those series 
specifically their original trilogies because we're I, we can't bring in all their sequels and spinoffs. We're talking about both original trilogies here. Um, they brought in a bunch of stuff that's everything I love about that era of video games. Uh, Crash Warped had a lot of unique levels and a lot of fun additional things, uh, whether the motorcycle levels, the dolphin levels, just the whole time travel aesthetic. Um, the third Spyro game had all these alternate characters that were fun and unique and changed up the gameplay variety, which is nice because the early Spyro game, like the very first one, fun, but a little repetitive after a while. Just run around. It's a big field. Go find, go find some crystals and go find the dragons. Go find some crystals and go find the dragons. Um, gun to your head. Gun to my head. I give it, I say Crash Bandicoot. Um, hot take. But it's partially because Insomniac had already gotten a footing elsewhere. Like, they had already made a game before, so they'd still be around. Um, and maybe they'd just come right out of the gate with, with Ratchet, no, with Ratchet and Clank. Um, <laughs> I love how it, Caleb's really just trying decision. to justify yeah. his decision. All right. Uh I realized that I didn't put any fighting games on here, which I should have. Because this next one, fighting games probably would have been better than this next one. But Need for Speed or Forza? <laughs> That's a weird question because both games have peaked at very different times. Like, yeah, well, the same could be it's said. It's kind of hard for Call of Duty and Halo. No, those games both peaked right around the same time, the late aughts. Yeah. Halo 3 and the Modern Warfares. You think the Modern Warfares were the best-selling Call of Duties? I would bet $10 that those were the best. Of all time, those are the best-selling Call of Duty I think games. 3, Modern Warfare 3, is probably their best-selling. Well, we already ended that discussion. Anyway, so, but, but yes. Anyways. Racing games, everybody. Our favorite genre. Yeah. I, I would go with Forza, just because... They're definitely more relevant. Well, they're more relevant now, um... But even then, Forza has their just base Forza game, which is the game if you're a hardcore car enthusiast, and you especially if you're the kind who has like that's motorsport. Peripheral. Right? So yeah, some of that's their core game is motorsport. And then Horizons is the more arcade and then yeah, Horizons is like, the like if better. you just if you just like to <laughs> race fast. and drive fast, then here's Horizon. If you want to actually go like try to simulate what it would be like to drive this car. We have that for you too. But Need for Speed has like open worlds and cops and cop Lamborghinis and. I will give Need for Speed points for the cops and robbers mode because I do have fond memories of playing that with friends. As a yeah, Hot Pursuit one. is my favorite. Like the well, that was probably their peak. Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's that's they tried like, to remake it, and I don't even think that really. I, I like the remake of Hot Pursuit quite a I lot. I liked it, too. I just don't know that it did anything for them as a franchise. As a franchise, no, but I enjoyed the game immensely. I I will say... I'll go with Forza, even though I've not played more than you know a demo, because I don't have an Xbox, but I've not played more than a demo at a while. I'll give it to Forza for three reasons. One, as Joe already pointed out, they've stayed more relevant. As much as I do love the old Need for Speed games... I don't care when a new one comes out. Like no. I, it just doesn't even register to me. They announce it, and I go, "Sure." Well, they're always trying to do something, and Stupid. it doesn't always work. Like, yeah, it, do- it always doesn't work. Is what I'm saying. Right. Um, the second one is because I'm pretty terrible at any non 
like kart racing racing game. And Forza, the few times I played it, that was one of the only ones I actually managed to get in first place and win. Was so purely that. But I also just going to throw out that this it depends because Forza apparently splits into two different, like an arcade racer and a simulation racer. I didn't realize this, but like it might have been like Gran Turismo versus Forza would have been a very different matchup for me. Well, maybe we'll do that next time. <laughs> Here's one for you, Caleb, and you too, but Caleb's going to have strong opinions. Uncharted or Tomb Raider? Uncharted. <laughs> I have I played a few hours of the first Tomb Raider yeah, I was reboot. I kind of you'd play more Tomb Raider. I, I didn't play a ton of it, mostly because have I... Have you played any Tomb Raider? I played the, the first ones. two of the new ones all the way through, yeah. And it's like Uncharted with a girl? It's... Unless less compelling story okay i have many strong feelings about the tomb raider reboots including the fact that their story writing is not that good it's just it's the impression i got their tv movie level like you forget how like if you're like me and you play through all the uncharted games you forget like that those are actually pretty exceptional for video games until you play one that's like trying to be it but not actually that good like the character (laughs) writing is really clunky the plot twists are telegraphed like six years in advance. The mood is all over the place. The first Tomb Raider reboot is so dreary and pessimistic, and Laura is just oh, it's so much suffering. I can't. I but can't. But those take death it. animations. Though. Those death animations are horrific and borderline <laughs> pornographic in their you know violence. I don't murder porn. Yeah, it's I can't. Literally, I played through both. Um, the Tomb Raider reboot and Rise of the Tomb Raider, the se- the first sequel, all the way through. And then I played, there was a DLC bit for Rise of the Tomb Raider where you're just poking around Lara's mansion, Croft Manor, for like an abandoned Croft Manor. And I had more fun in that DLC poking around the abandoned Croft Manor than I did with either of the two entire games surrounding it. So, yeah. So, win for Uncharted. Unless Joe has... No, that's that's really not a fair question, because having not really played either games, I would agree wholeheartedly with Uncharted. Yeah, and having only played Tomb Raider, I think I would have picked Uncharted. <laughs> I liked several of the things Tomb Raider was trying to do gameplay-wise, but it just... I always start the Tomb Raider games, like, excited, picking up collectibles, okay. having fun... And then about halfway through, I'm just like, all right, I got to finish this. That's, I got to see the ending and call yeah. it good. I got to roll credits. I'm done yeah. in this world. Yeah. That's just kind of how it always goes for me. Next, Dragon Age or Mass Effect? Never played Dragon Age. What? Which is weird. That Not even Inquisition? That, especially not Inquisition, just because Inquisition got its fair share of flack and I'm pretty sure it was IGN's game of the year the year it came out. Was it? Yeah. I heard a lot of people hated the starting zone and that was enough to push me I off. think there was some, but talk about a game kind of like we were talking about Odyssey earlier that just kept putting out content. I'm pretty sure the Dragon Age Inquisition went on forever. I never finished it. I, it's one of those things where I've always kind of thought I, I really should go back maybe yeah. And like experience those because they seem like they'd be up my alley. Same here. But it never but they're happened. They're so old now. And it's kind of like they need to I, do a remaster. I've played hopefully. the Mass Effects, and that that scratches that itch. Bioware makes a very particular kind of game. 
and I've I played never beat, but I did play the first two Knights of the Old Republic, and I played the entire Mass Effect trilogy through twice. Wow. Yeah, twice, and so like more Bioware is just kind of like the thing that's there. I could, but I'd also like to try new things. Yeah. The only Bioware game I have beaten is the Sonic the Hedgehog RPG they made for DS. So I guess we have to give this to Mass Effect by default. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I couldn't get into Mass Effect. I don't like the whole space thing as much. I just don't. I like ideas behind both Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Just something about the way Bioware chooses to tell their stories is what... It's not even like the method of storytelling. It's what parts of the story they find interesting. I do not necessarily. So it's 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 been one of the things that kept me away. Also because so what what do you base that off of? The few bits I've played, like I played the when Mass Effect three came out before we all had the that um, little incident over the ending. Um, I played the demo pretty extensively. Like I think I played it through twice with different choices and whatnot. And I just, I realized that as much as parts of it seemed appealing, um, I just didn't, it, I wasn't clicking. And then I would watch uh, little segments of playthroughs just to try to get a better sense of, okay, what's this game actually look like outside of the trailers? And it just, it, nothing was clicking the way I wanted it to. Um, I wouldn't, there's still a part of me that like, might stupidly one day play through uh, Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 1, just pick one and like, all right, I'm not going to go play through 3. 3 does nothing for me. Do 2, from what I hear. Well, yeah, and it's got, you know, Ivan Strahovski, so that never hurts. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but what does is it 1 or 2 that has the suicide mission? 2 has a suicide okay, mission. Okay, then yeah, I'm doing 2. Because that's, that's the one thing that I'm like, that's actually intriguing to me. I'd like to see how that Yeah, goes. I don't know if I'm a Bioware fan, because Dragon Age should be right up my alley. And I played Inquisition for probably between 10 to 20 hours, and then just stopped. I really, I had no idea what was going on. I was just kind of playing for the, the world. Yeah, and I think that's also another part of it, is that no matter how interesting seeming their worlds are, I just can never connect with them. So you're not going to I mean, get anthem. Your points are valid from your experience, Caleb, but what you did is like watching Return of the King or episode 6 of Star Wars and not having paid any attention to the first two installments. That's probably fair. You you can get away with skipping the like I think with all three of these cases, you can get away with skipping the first installation. You can get a synopsis you know, it's not totally vital. You see exactly how the story started. But that middle section sets up so much that if you just jump into the third one, <laughs> you're going to be confused and there's going to be stuff that's going to fly over your head. Because Mass Effect 3 was super good up until the last two minutes. And the last two minutes undid... A lot the of good Prior sixty hours of gameplay. Small child with a you know one of them light brights like pick a color and apparently it breaks very many things. It's 
it literally is what color do you want your ending to be That's i i thought it was an exaggeration when that whole thing happened because i hadn't i didn't play it at the time i thought they were exaggerating on the whole what color do you want i was like surely it can't be that bad it's that bad and the worst part is mass effect 3 introduced this mechanic where you would play the multiplayer to increase the like readiness of the whole galaxy and so you would like you grind out these multiplayer <coughs> matches you do all the side quests uh and they later added in as a a patch there's like an optional side mission you can do to remove the need to play multiplayer but either way you can make all the right choices you can get your galaxy readiness maxed out ready to go you tried really hard you have to make a couple of particularly like really hard gut-wrenching choices in three where it's basically like you can completely stomp on the legacy of a character who's been with you for like two or three games at this point and in return get a really good weapon or you can leave that weapon on the table and potentially you know endanger all life in the galaxy in return for the friendship and that's like that's a super hard choice and it builds up really well and like i said all the way up to the last two minutes a really good game and then the last two minutes just gives you the bird and is like it doesn't matter what you pick (laughs) well you've definitely sold me on why mass effect should win this one next number nine metroid or castlevania I'm interested. I have opinions. I'm interested to see what Joe says. How would we have Metroidvania if one of I know, we're kind of the same thing. Honestly, <laughs> I think I would pick Castlevania yes. just because of the setting and aesthetic, which is weird because I picked Mass Effect before because it was like, ooh, like, okay, sci fi over medieval. Like, one big draw for me for Mass Effect was the whole, like, sci fi vibe. But something about the, like, Dracula castle killing monsters vibe in the Castlevania games. And maybe it's because as a protagonist, you always look like super good and like. I use the word like fabulous almost ironically, <laughs> but like. I mean. All right, Caleb, this tell is why fr- wrong. This is a. Castlevania is a franchise that takes a certain amount of inspiration from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So the word fabulous unironically is not without merit there. Um. I, yeah, see, I understand everything you're saying there because I adore the aesthetic of, especially Symphony of the Night. Like, holy cow, the mood and tone that thing just sets is glorious. Um, I have to I have to argue in favor of Metroid, though, basically on the principle that the, to me, the peak of any sort of Metroidvania game is Metroid Prime for GameCube. Like, that, that game right there is... I think the platonic ideal of what any of these other entries in the genre are trying to do. Um, I know everyone points to Super Metroid and Super Metroid's Super Metroid's good. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think Metroid Prime did a much better job of translating that into a 3D space, um, and it felt more real and more like an actual place. I have an issue with any of the 2D Metroidvanias after a certain point because those. Freaking vertical hallways, man. I just can't. I just, after a certain point, I'm like, which door? Which door do I... I don't care. So one of you has to convince the other. Or one of you has to give up. 
I think we're both equally likely to give up on this one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because Castlevania is good. Don't get me wrong. Like, especially, though, I'm another reason I find it hard to um, argue in its favor is because my favorite Castlevania I've played so far is the one that isn't a Metroidvania. It's the very first Castlevania for the NES. It's just basically a really freaking hard Mega Man classic game with horror monsters. It's... I don't know. <coughs> I, I, w- I would give it to Metroid just because I think Metroid has had fewer flukes and or maybe flops would be a better word now, than <clears throat> Castlevania. Didn't Metroid do Metroidvania first? Technically, yeah. So why does Vania even get added to the description? Well, because here's the thing. Um... Most games that steal from a Metroidvania format, they do in fact steal it from Super Metroid. Like the amount of games that are made that are essentially just ripoffs of Super Metroid is a lot. It's a scary lot. Um, but I think primarily because Castlevania was the first other major series to do that, especially from Symphony of the Night onwards. Like Symphony of the Night. Um, it also added some RPG elements into it. Uh, you had, there wasn't just abilities like Samus's, um, uh, high jump boots or the spin dash or not spin dash, but it's screw attack. Any of that stuff. Um, simply the night had stuff like that, but also had, you could equip different cloaks and swords and raise your attack boosts and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think it just boils down to it was the first other major franchise to take up that, and it became standard after the Super Nintendo era. So from Symphony of the Night onward, you basically had the exploration-based um, side-scrolling-ness. I do not... I never played... What were those ones? Lords of Shadow, those ones. Um, for I think they were for 360... And I think Kojima actually had a hand in the first one. Um, I do not know how Metroidvania they were. I haven't played a lot of either of this these series. But and finally, number ten, Mario or Legend of Zelda. I knew this was coming. Screw you. Um, <laughs> it's so easy though. Is it though? You, you know the right answer. Do I though? You do. I have a feeling Joe's going to say Mario. No. What? Zelda's the right answer, dude. <laughs> like, hands down. Zelda's the better franchise, easily. But, like, do video games get as popular without Mario? Oh. it's a good question. It's hard, hard to say, though, because you've got Sonic, who is... Extremely recognizable. It's Probably not as much as Mario. That's my point. Do we get? But it's still very close. Now, where does Sonic stand in terms of impact today? Do games get as big as they did if Sonic was gone? Look at his movie poster. Yeah. So, based on that, <laughs> based on that. So based on based <laughs> on the fact that there's a Sonic movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, based just, on the fact that Joe thinks yeah. Sonic is almost as no, impactful just, just and recognizable based on, as Mario. Based on 
how something can, you know, you look at Mario and go, oh, obviously, look at all this impact it's had and would games be as big and all that. You can say all that because, like, everybody knows Mario. And then if you think about, okay, well, almost everybody knows Sonic. Well, if you take Sonic away, what happens? Like, I don't think anything really I don't, happens. I think if you it, take Mario away, you don't have Sonic, though. Like, I think that... Yeah, so I don't think if you, you have take, platformers. So, so I'm saying, even though, <laughs> even though you can have a really big icon, like, take a really big icon away, what really happens? You take Mario away, something else. Feel like, what did... <coughs> I guess the, the heart of what I'm getting at is what tangible impact... Does Mario have beyond like better than Zelda? In terms of if we were if we're just picking which game franchise is better, I say it's Zelda, hundred percent. Like, not a question. I'm not even gonna like argue this much more in just saying I think if we were to just cease Mario from existing from the annals of history, we'd lose a lot more than I think we'd think we would. Oh, I agree. And that's why it's so hard because obviously Zelda's better. Yeah. But but Mario I'm not even Mario. like. Here's my concern: Do we even get Zelda without Mario? Like, and this is clearly a hypothetical thing. We're just like, which one we like better? It's Zelda. But like, if Mario didn't exist, does Nintendo get successful enough to make the Nintendo Entertainment System and make a game based on Shigeru Miyamoto's childhood of exploring old caves that becomes this weird fantasy franchise that which we're all unreasonably attached to? Who knows? I don't know. And if there was no Mario, would we be playing Zelda Party today? Probably not. I don't think. I don't think <laughs> Look, if that you were... lends itself to the, the full party thing. I don't know. If, I don't necessarily know that the Mario Party games lend themselves too well to the whole party element. But you know, I mean, I guess there's like with if Mario was erased, that does raise some serious concerns that like would Nintendo still be around? Just because, let's face it. Like Mario Party and Mario Kart, and all of them. Like not even the Mario Core franchise. It's all of these spin-offs for the GameCube and the Wii and the Wii U, are probably a big part of what kept Nintendo afloat. Well, I mean, every there there are people I know who they buy Nintendo consoles for Mario Kart. Like they they have you go to their house and they have a Wii Wii U or whatever sitting in their living room with their kids and it's like oh what do you have it's mario kart mario kart 8 is the best selling and has the highest attach rate of any switch game currently and it's a port yeah now that's ridiculous if we if is it worth losing zelda over all that we'll see now here's no not to me no no i was gonna make this point breath of the wild no, That's Breath hard. of the Wild is my new favorite video game anyone's ever made. Um, but I would just like to point out that, yeah, no, giving up Mario is like giving up the body of gaming. You'd give up all the, the these different avenues, these different possibilities. Giving up Zelda is like giving up the soul. It's like giving up, why do I like that there are video games? It's stuff like Breath of the Wild. Like, that's the reason I play these things in the first place. So, yeah, I'd rather keep Zelda than Mario. All right, but Yoshi's Island. Yeah, what about it? <laughs> it's I. It's really good. That's that's it's. It's like a list of favorite games ever made. It's number three. So, well, on that note, 
I think this is a good place to end the podcast, so why don't you guys say goodbye? Goodbye. See you around, everyone. You have a wonderful week.